Welcome to another episode of the EQ Elevator podcast, where I use the Emotional Intelligence Toolkit to shine light, reduce organizational blindness, break out of silos, and help leaders in the STEM industry manage the challenges that they face in the digital decade, specifically to people. So today we're going to discuss a challenge I received from a chief information officer within the STEM industry. And I'm going to keep it quite general. So many of you CIOs and chief information security officers, those who are in charge responsible for cybersecurity within your organization can resonate. Now, the theme of this episode is why you should not be talking security to build a cybersecurity culture or to build a healthy security culture. This sounds quite counterintuitive and many may want to hit the stop button and listening if, you're, if you are a security officer or if you're responsible for cybersecurity because how in the world, Nadia, do you envision in building a healthy security culture where cyber risk is reduced if we don't speak about security. So this is what we're going to talk about high level in this episode. One of the main challenges you as CIO face, you as chief information security officer face, and even you as chief executive officer to keep the business not only floating and surviving in the sea of cyber threats, but also thriving. The idea is to remain competitive and ahead in this hyper-connected world where everyone is trying to get their portion of the market. Now, how do you do that if cyber threats move large and present a serious risk? When many of the departments that are not dealing with cyber or IT or don't necessarily understand it that well, don't take cyber risk as seriously as they should because the sense of urgency, although we read about it, although we hear about it, although we are educated about it through very monotos, monotone, is that the right word? Videos on what happens if you click and what happens if you don't pay attention. It's like the, the tape keeps going on, but how do we internalize it that people actually care? People want to build a healthy security culture and that people don't feel this is so important to get their buy-in as a burden. So this is why I truly believe that when you start communicating security, not as a phenomena on its own, a discipline on its own, but how it relates to people's core values, how it relates to people's jobs and responsibilities and their roles, how it relates to what people actually care about and gets their positive emotions or even negative emotions up. When we look at the mainstream psychology, people either seek pleasure or avoid pain. And with this knowledge, you can inform the way you communicate and the way you build a healthy, sustainable security culture. So let's start with the challenge I received. So I'm going to read it out. I summarized it. We keep it short, but you get the essence of it. In my role as CIO for a fast-paced organization in STEM, I often find myself at the intersection of technology and business. 
One of the most prominent challenges I am grappling with is effectively communicating the importance of cybersecurity to the rest of the organization. The threat of cyber attacks loom large. This is no secret and it's known for every single leadership in our organization. But for many departments within my organization, security is viewed as an IT problem rather than a business risk. We don't have a dedicated chief information security officer, so cybersecurity falls under my portfolio. And the challenge is twofold. Firstly, it affects our organization's cybersecurity readiness posture. I don't feel that we are equipped in a way to respond that we will actually bounce back stronger and wiser, as you always mention in your communication and marketing campaigns, but weaker and if not in a more high-risk profile situation. And secondly, it often leads to misunderstanding and miscommunication between departments. My team is under immense pressure. They don't necessarily have the time nor the capacity to keep reminding people, to keep communicating in a way from their map of the world. Another advice that you always give, but how is this possible? How can I use the Emotional Intelligence Toolkit in a practical way so we can tackle this challenge because it is affecting my leadership skills in within the organization in building a healthy cybersecurity culture, but also it's affecting the way my team that is responsible for navigating and dealing and recovering these cyber breaches to do their job correctly. So thank you for enlightening me. Thank you just for the purpose of this episode. I always keep the challenges sent to me unanimously and I make them as general as possible so more people can resonate. So first, let's look at the Emotional Intelligence Toolkit. One of the feedback I get is I focus too much on personal empowerment, on what is within our ability, like an individual ability to do, than what is in accountability, what other people should do, right? What the CEO should do, what the organization should do. To clarify, I developed the EQ Elevator based on an existing scientific model that's called the perceptual position to give these different perspectives. So everyone is not only accountable because I, someone brilliantly yesterday mentioned at a panel I moderated that accountability is pointing the finger to someone else, it's their responsibility. But that we take individual responsibility, as we take collective responsibility, as we take organizational responsibility, every single one of us has a responsibility to build a safer and secure working environment and a safe and secure quality of life in the digital age. That said, the way I approach this is what you as a person individually can do, what the other person can do, what can be done at an organizational and then more at a systemic level. And understanding first, knowledge is power, understanding is empowerment. Right? Because if we don't understand, why are we going to act? We need to understand it in our map of the world. And there are many different maps of the world. And this approach helps you understand better first from your point of view. And this does not take away the responsibility or the accountability other leaders have within your organization, John. 
any other CIO who resonates with John, but it helps you make more informed decisions and helps you devise better cyber risk stakeholder strategies and communicate it also in a way where people feel empowered to actually take action. So this is where I come from. I believe in building bridges, bridging silos, reducing organizational blindness. If we don't approach it, understand different points of view before we move forward, we're never going to join forces, hold a united front and tackle these challenges head on. It will only be talk and trying to cover up when S hits the fan. So here we start with the EQ toolkit for that you can apply within yourself in terms of a reflection practice. So when we look at self-perception, it's important to first recognize, acknowledge, and accept the emotions that make you feel frustrated that no one seems to care about the cyber risk at an era where even C-suite, not only CISOs, are held liable. So just this week or last week, Medibank, a large financial institution in Australia, has been uh, forced by or encouraged by the court to put aside $250 million in capital as a buffer for future data breaches because of their data breach and the complaints that they got from the customers. Data breach and data liability is not only a concern anymore for the chief information security officer or the chief information officer in this case. So there's a lot of pressure on the C-suite who work in cyber, who work in security, and it's not easy. And when you work with these unidentified emotions of frustration, of anger, of sadness, of feeling unfair, often you sign NDA so you cannot even talk about it, it weighs heavily on you and it's going to create mental health issues. So finding a safe space, whether it's with an external person, a person of confidence, whether it's through journaling, but really having a practice where you process and label these emotions so they don't remain stuck is important and may feel uncomfortable if you're not used to it, which is what I often encounter in this industry. Many of the clients I work with, they're not used to it. It's a very highly technical, rational, regulated industry. And I don't mean that everyone is rational and they don't have emotional intelligence, not at all, but they don't necessarily are equipped with handling so much pressure in these unprecedented times. So this is the first. The second is to understand how, in what ways, and practice this as well, and identify whether you are the right person or someone else. Communicating cyber risk in a way that people understand it. Now, th there's a lot of articles written about it. There's a lot of advice and posts and quotes. We need to communicate cyber risk as a business risk. And I get that many of you may think, you know, enough is enough. It's obvious that cyber risk is a business risk. What else needs to happen? Does the whole world energetic grid needs to go down before we actually understand that cyber isn't a serious business risk? So the frustration is real. But often what happens when we communicate from something we feel strongly about, something that is so important and evident in our mind, how can you not take cybersecurity seriously? We communicate from that perspective, not 
understanding in the moment, or maybe perhaps being oblivious, that the person you're communicating to, they have a general or a knowledgeable understanding, right? They're not necessarily ignorant on cyber risk, but they have many other things that are important and urgent to them in that moment. And our human brain can only focus on average seven, eight decision factors. It's overloaded otherwise. And this is why we prioritize subconsciously on what feels important to us. Now, with that knowledge, you can better communicate cyber risk and link it, not related to security, but to how cyber affects the person's core value. Example, CEO, chief executive officer. There is a plethora of examples that he or she may not have the patience or resources to deal with cyber in a way that you want them to deal. However, the data is gold. So how can you communicate in a way that they understand that liability is a serious issue and insurance is no longer a scapegoat, right? And not necessarily from a fear-mongering place, but from a place of invitation to look at the risk. What specifically will happen if customer data is leaked and sold at, on the dark web, how are we going to deal with our brand reputation? How are we going to deal with the capital for the financial recovery? How are we going to deal with the scarce resources we have? How are we going to deal with the halt in the business production or the service delivery? How are we going to communicate and to instill confidence in our stakeholders that we got this? These are things that the CEO cares about in this moment of time. And it will be different for different leaders, but understanding what people are concerned about is key. And this brings me to the third element is interpersonal relations. Don't wait to build relationships or don't wait to communicate about cyber risk when, during board meetings or during management meetings. Have it as a genuine conversation with your peers and never, don't necessarily talk, I'm being very prescriptive, I apologize. I get excited and passionate about this subject because I really care. It's a, a huge challenge and I feel myself frustrated when I see so much invisible pain, actually, because it is very frustrating not being able to advance and achieve a higher level of preparedness, resilience, and readiness. So make the conversation about how can security be a opportunity to help you with your work in a safer and secure way without being burdened. And this may, one of the counter arguments is we don't have you seen our schedule, Nadia. We don't have time. And this may sound harsh, but I have worked with clients where I got resistance when I said we need to manage better your time. We worked on a time management system and I asked them to record their times for three days. And guess what? They actually spend a lot of times on things that are not necessarily urgent or even important. So uh, that was a, maybe a hard pill to swallow, but in the end, we came up with a much healthier and more productive time management system where we integrated these stakeholder engagement activities and it helped them build stronger relationships and shift perspectives, not when S hits the fan. We do this through relationships building. We have decision-making and stress management. The, especially when you have a lot of heightened emotions, 
frustration, anger, and not understanding, baffled, these can influence and shape the way you make decisions in terms of cyber risk, right? Same vice versa for the other person. So when you are in board meetings or when you are in executive management meetings, try to present cyber as neutral as possible and having space for everyone's relevance or point of view to be included. So it's not only seen as an IT agenda for more resources, but it's seen as a social corporate responsibility for a more resilient organization that thrives in the digital age. Thriving in the digital age is not a buzzword, right? You cannot only focus on profit and purpose. You have to focus on building a resilient organization, people, process, and technology. This is the resilience part of it. And the stress management. As, uh, we all can be diplomatic and polite, but when we feel stressed, heightened stress, and for a longer period of time, we get primitive, negative emotions for too long get the worst out of us. So understanding how stress is managed and how it's relieved, not only on a physical level, but also on an emotional and mental level, is so important. Now, let us turn to the EQ Elevator framework as a conclusion, now that I've shared how the EQ toolkit can help you build a healthier security culture by not communicating as cybersecurity, but communicating from people's map of the world. The first floor, again, is first becoming very clear on how you feel about certain risks and behaviors from your colleagues, introspection. This is an uncomfortable process, right? I help my clients become comfortable being uncomfortable in a as comfortable way possible, but it's not comfortable doing introspection. It's not comfortable adopting a growth mindset. We feel something is wrong with us. We need to allow space, time, and external support to navigate this journey. Second floor, and this is even more uncomfortable, especially if you're not used to it, it takes up a lot of mental energy to put yourself in someone else's shoes, to put yourself in the CEOs, in the CFOs, in the CEOs, in the chief sales officer or chief marketing officer, who all have different values, responsibilities, and a sense of urgency, what is important to them. Now, putting yourself in their shoes so you can understand how you can communicate cyber risk from their map of the world takes up a lot of mental energy. But it's so important to have much higher positive impact of how you communicate cyber risk. And then the neutral, the third floor, really helps you uncover and dissipate any uh, unconstructive bias. Bias in itself is not good or bad. We need our bias because it helps us manage our mental energy so we can we behave in a certain way. If we would process every information we receive from the outside as real time, we would have no energy left for our body to function properly. Our brain is primarily designed, and this, this is not me, this is highly researched by a neuroscientist and peer-reviewed. Brain is not necessarily designed primarily job to think, but to survive. So when it perceives that we don't have enough energy, it goes into stress response. And when we go into stress response for a prolonged period of time, this is where difficulties and mental health issues start to develop. This is why it's so important to understand 
our ingrained beliefs and how they are either contributing to chronic stress response or how they can reduce the chronic stress response and how they influence the way we communicate and the way we interact with others. Then the fourth floor is really understanding cyber risk at an organizational level. So specifically for your organization, what are the risks that could happen? You can first write them in your own security tech jargon way so that you are clear on the risks. And then you can have a brainstorming session, whether it's within your team, whether it's with an external facilitator, whether it's within the with the others, is how does this what does this mean for the marketing department? What does this mean for the sales department? For example, chief marketing officer is concerned with information push, with data push to evoke certain types of emotion to create a customer experience so the customers will buy the services and will even come back for more. So it's information push. Now, understanding that if you come and say information sharing presents a risk for our organization because of social engineering and data gathering, and the more information we share, the higher risk we run, is not something what a chief marketing officer wants to hear or will process necessarily because it goes against his or her primary objective, information push. So when you understand these dynamics without judgment, but from a place of curiosity, you can better find a middle way to communicate how can they push information in a more secure way? How, they, how can they create? Ultimately, it's about customer experience. How can you fuse cybersecurity and marketing to still have an amazing customer experience? And especially now, customers are concerned and care about their data. So you can always find those touch points. And then the fifth floor, which is really understanding what's happening out there now. And again, it is normal to feel fear because liability is a serious issue now when it comes to data breaches and data cover-up. It's not straightforward because as an organization, it is quite difficult and, and not an easy decision to share whenever you have been breached because it obviously can impact your brand reputation and comes the confidentiality clauses. Thinking about these things, working through these things ahead of time as part of team effort is so important. So you reduce the fear, you increase the knowledge, and then you, and you facilitate the understanding. So it's at least everyone is on the same page on the risk appetite and roles and responsibility. It's not an easy process, I understand, which is why the Emotional Intelligence Toolkit, Emotional Firewalls, can help you build a bridge and can help you with the implementation process. Thank you for listening. I hope these insights were useful. So to really look at self-perception, self-expression, interpersonal relations, decision-making and stress management, and how you can communicate cybersecurity by not talking about cybersecurity per se, and how to integrate that in the EQ elevator approach and elevate your leadership to look at these, this challenge specifically from multiple floors and come up with a more informed 360 degree strategy. Thank you for listening and I look forward to next week's episode. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the EQ Emotional Intelligence Elevator podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained valuable insights into the world of emotional intelligence. 
To learn more about Thrive BTQ and Nadia's mission to build stronger, more resilient workplaces through higher levels of emotional intelligence, visit our website at thrivebtq.com. You'll find a plethora of EQ leadership resources, tools, and services to help you and your organization thrive. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends and colleagues. As always, keep thriving with EQ.